0: Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, March 13th, 2014. Oh yeah, I'm going to be all over the map today. Thank for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down. Stop. Open up our Bible and see if what today's celebrity pastors, New York Times best-selling authors... in air quotes, um, see compared to see if what they're saying actually is what God's Word really says when we open it up and look at it in context, or if we're being schnookered, or if we're being bamboozled, or or if we're actually being taught something contrary to what God's Word really actually says and what it's really all about. And if you've listened to Fighting for the Faith for any length of time, any length of time, you know it 's one of those things where you 're going to find that ninety percent and I mean that ninety percent of the difficulty of uh, of uh, of overcoming false teaching is just a mere matter of putting a passage back in its context, taking a look. Three, four, five verses ahead, a few verses behind the verse that's being quoted. Yeah, that's what we call the immediate context of a, of a passage. And you'll find that over and again, when you do that with a good translation of Scripture, yeah, and you know what what would be a good translation, I I prefer the ESV myself. But if you use the New King James, that's fine. You use uh, the uh, the New NIV version. I'm not all that thrilled with the New NIV because of what it does with uh, the gender, uh, the pronouns, God's gender, um, but you know, let's say you're using that. Maybe you're using the, the old 1984 NIV. You're gonna you, you, you'll do all right. You're gonna do okay. You know, and if you're not sure, get onto like BibleGateway.com, and you know, and take a look at several different translations. of when you apply the context, you'll see over and again something, something, something ain't right with a lot of the teaching that's going on. So <clears throat> here's what we're gonna do today. Um, yeah, we're all over the map today. Um, I wish I could say that that I was able to successfully work a theme in today's into today's episode. No. This is a themeless episode. If one emerges, it is by accident. So it's, this is what, you know, from time to time I refer to these as our stinking pot episodes, otherwise known as potpourri episode of, episodes of Fighting for the Faith, and we're going to be all over the place. We are going to start with a Joel Osteen update. Um, yeah, um, his latest message is entitled Activate the Right Genes. Activate the, the Right Genes. Now, last week when we checked in with Joel Osteen, he was explaining to us how we are not damaged goods, apparently uh, denying the doctrine of original sin. And I enjoy what my... uh Colleague uh, uh, Matt Richard, Pastor Doctor, the Reverend Doctor Matt Richard, said regarding Joel Osteen uh, that he doesn't teach Pelagianism; he teaches Uber Pelagianism, Hyper Pelagianism. And so, uh, Joel Osteen, in this week's installment, uh, will he's going to be ch- checking in and, and d- m- better developing his concept of Uber. Pelagianism, uh, teaching us that we can activate the right genes within us uh, in order to counteract any negative um, things that we have may we may have inherited from our parents. Yeah, no joke. This is uh, uh, quite a new phenomenon. I've never heard of uh, heard in the Bible of our ability to deactivate or activate particular genes that we've. Um, <clears throat> apparently, uh, you know, inherited from our forebears. Um, but you're going to notice that uh, Joel Osteen doesn't primarily get this from Scripture. In fact, he doesn't get this from Scripture at all. Wait till you s- hear what his source is for his for his, for his his uh, day that we'll be taking a look at. Then we're going to switch gears into the, well, completely strange and bizarre. And by the way, I, I should chime in on the fact that, uh, Joel Osteen's church was robbed to the tune of 600 grand in cash and checks over the weekend. And, uh, you know, I'll throw that in as part of our Joel Osteen update. Um, uh, and then we'll switch gears. We have a Cindy Jacobs update. Hey, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm, Cindy Jacobs update. And, uh, whew, uh <laughs> she is interviewing, um, a gentleman, um, yeah, uh, this is, well, I don't even know how to explain this. Have you ever heard in Pentecostal circles, they talk about the importance of binding the strongman, yeah, binding the strongman. So apparently, uh, there's a book that's out entitled Binding the Strongman Over America, and in it is, uh, it, it was written by Dr. Uh, Benefiel, and, uh, we'll be listening to that interview on the God Knows television program and again, I did not make up the name of that TV program. That really is what it's called. It's, well, you know, God knows. And uh, so we'll be uh, listening into that. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we've got a little bit of kind of a seeker-driven roundup, if you would. Um, Russell Moore on his blog, uh, More to the Point, um, has an interesting blog post that was published uh, today entitled, Wither the Prosperity Gospel. Now, I've I got to make a note here. Um, I'm I'm going to be reading from his blog not because I agree with uh, everything that Dr. Moore is about. In fact, I I find his project there in Washington, D.C., and his politics to be a little bit, well, disturbing is probably the best way of putting it, and he's openly admitted to being – um, uh, a soft or, you know, or moral communitarian, and uh, me and communitarianism don't get along, but I'm going to overlook that um, in, uh, in reading this blog post from uh, Russell Moore today uh, because I think he makes an astute observation that I think is worth passing along, and then we'll do a Perry Noble update uh, kind of with, uh, along with the vision casting update. Um, and uh, I'm going to be reading from uh, Perry Noble's blog on how do you know if your vision is from God? How do you know if your vision for, is from God? Which will then kind of lead to the bigger question is, um, um, what are exactly the biblical qualifications for a vision caster? So, you know, we'll be spending some time that. And then in hour number two, we, will going, we are going to head to Faith Church in St. Louis. And we're going to be reviewing a David Crank sermon for our hour number two today. So we have got... Well, just a lot of ground to cover. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, due to the fact that we are, well, going to be uh, listening to some crazy stuff today, I I think it behooves me to actually play our standard warning because some of the stuff you're going to hear, especially in the first half of this first hour, is so bizarre that um, it could cause you bodily harm if you do not take the proper precautions. Now, you know, listen, I, you, you think I jest about this, okay? There are people who have emailed me and have said that they have hurt themselves bodily while listening to Fighting for the Faith, doing different activities. And so um, as a result of that particular phenomenon, this is what has prompted us to come up with what I call our standard warning. And today is a day in which I think it's going to be important for us to be playing it. So here's our warning, and then we'll get right
1: Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinew nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry atosis and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended.
0: You have been warned. That's all I can say. That's right. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself, an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me.
2: My shiny teeth that twinkle.
3: Shiny teeth that kissed just
0: like the Christmas tree. You know the walk of mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth in me. That's right, that's Chip Skylark and our uh, my shiny teeth in me. That's our Joel Osteen update music. Now this week's message from Joel Osteen is entitled Activate the right genes. Activate the right genes. And unfortunately, he's building off of, uh, well, the heresy that he began to unpack in last week's message entitled, You Are Not Damaged Goods, where he teaches not only, you know, Pelagianism, but uber-Pelagianism. And building off of that, um, he now has this really interesting idea that you can activate or deactivate, um, uh, genetic traits that are negative in your life. Um, and he has a source for this. Mm-hmm. And the source isn't God's word. Um, <clears throat> here's the uh, Joel Osteen ministry radio pro- – not radio, but television program from Lakewood out there in Houston. Here we go. Yeah, by the way, there's no such thing as that.
3: Well, God bless you, and thanks for letting us come into your homes each week. We love you guys, and if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home.
0: But, yeah, I'm sure you
3: would, but that's like the last home I want to be in. Thanks so much for tuning in, and thank you again for coming out. And I'd like to start with something funny, and I heard about this pastor. He was raising money for a new auditorium. He said to the congregation, Anyone who will give $1,000 can pick out the next three hymns. Little old lady in the back raised her hand and said, Pastor, I'll do it. He was so excited. He said, thank you so much. Now, which three hymns would you like? She looked over the congregation said, I'll take hymn and hymn and hymn. <laughs> Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about activating
0: the right genes. Mm-hmm. That's his lead-off. So, after his uh, standard joke, which is always so cute, um, we now have his thesis sentence. I want to talk to you about activating the right genes and you know it would make you want to like you know go to your bible program on your laptop or your tablet and type in you know activation you know genes and and you'll find that um, gene activation is nowhere found in the bible nowhere hmm so where is he getting this from Okay, and you know, you think, come on, Chris, really, the Bible doesn't talk about the doctrine of gene activation? Really, it doesn't. Don't believe me? Go to BibleGateway.com, you know, use a good translation, type in gene activation for a Bible search, and it'll come up zero, zero results, okay? Yeah. So, where is he getting this from? What is his source of authority for this particular teaching? And I should say, doctrine. And you're thinking, well, is this really a doctrine? Yes, he is. This is a doctrine. Uh, not he is, but this is a doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. That's what this is. So where on earth is he getting this doctrine from? I wonder what its source is because it's not the Bible. Well, let's find out.
3: We receive our DNA from our parents. And these genes that are passed down tell us what we're going to look like, how tall we're going to be, what color our hair is. People tell us often that our son Jonathan has his mother's eyes. He looks just like Victoria. I say, thank God. (laughs) Not only are physical traits passed down through genes, but even personality traits. Our demeanor, our attitude, our sense of humor. Our daughter Alexandra is very neat and organized. From the time she was a little girl, she kept her room perfectly clean, everything in place spotless. We never ask her to do that. That trait came from my grandfather. He was the same way. My mother is like that, and now our daughter. It's been passed down for four generations. Somewhere there's a gene that says, be neat, be organized, keep everything perfectly in place. But just as good characteristics can be passed down, so can negative characteristics.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Now, with this, I would say, I tentatively agree. Scripture teaches that we are by nature sinners because of Adam. Mm -hmm. That's right. In fact, this is something that we've inherited. So you can say that all, not some, all of your negative traits um, have come down to us through Adam. If you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 5, and let's take a look at this, and we'll take a look at the genes that we've inherited from Adam. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Romans chapter 5. I'll start... I want to add some context here. You know, We're going to practice context, context, context. Uh, I'll start at verse 6, because we're, we're, what I want to do is get to verses 12, 13, um, and following. But I want, I want you to see how the context, context, context thing works. So here it goes. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, keep this in mind. Jesus did not die for the morally um, weak, the the semi-good. No, it says right here that Jesus died for the ungodly, which if you're not that, then Jesus didn't die for you, right? Yeah, this is what Scripture's diagnosis is of your condition. You are ungodly. So am I, by the way. That's the state of all of us. And how many ungodly people are there on the planet? Well, they say there's about 7 billion people on the planet. That would make 7 billion ungodly people currently living whom Christ died for. Now we continue. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins since therefore we have now been justified that means to be declared righteous by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received received reconciliation now, here's the verses I want to get to. So that's the immediate context. Therefore, okay, notice I didn't start with therefore. I read the immediate context before the therefore so that we can see what therefore is therefore, right? So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, yet sin is not counted where there is no law. yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the uh, have the grace of ...of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. Mm-hmm. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one's man, one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. So... That's one passage that you could clearly go to and say, okay, so we've inherited our sinful nature and the reason why we die. And I need to back up for a second. We are sinners not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Big difference. Okay, You flip those two and you're going to think that you can solve your sin problem by stopping sinning. Yeah, it goes a lot deeper than that. You are by nature objects of God's wrath, which is, and born dead in trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here, Romans 5 builds on this concept and teaches us that all of us, you know, we all die because we've inherited from Adam and Eve this sinful nature, and we all have died in Him, but we are made alive in Christ. So, coming back now to Joel Osteen. In one sense, Joel Osteen's right. He's noticing the fact that. There's some kind of connection between um, our shortcomings, <clears throat> sins, uh, our you know, and that's what if you're a sinner, then what you do is the way you manifest that is through sinning. Got it? Um, and he's noticing that it has some some kind of connection to our forebears, but he's gonna kind of miss the point. And remember, like I pointed out, he's not actually teaching us what Scripture says. Let's continue
3: if one of your parents was an alcoholic there's a ten times greater chance of you becoming an alcoholic and for years we thought well too bad it's in my genes depression addictions low self-esteem nothing i can do about it but recently researchers have discovered something they call epigenetics that word means on top of the genes
0: that's his source epigenetics
3: what they found Is just because a gene has been passed down doesn't mean that it has to be activated. It can be affected by your decisions, by your environment, and by your experiences. Now, while we cannot deactivate what color our hair will be or the shape of our eyes, there are certain genes that we can, in effect, turn on or turn off.
0: Now, again, the Bible doesn't teach this. Where did he get this? From epigenetics, do you think epigenetics is going to give us the ability to altogether just eradicate our sinful natures by learning how to activate and deactivate things? They're discovering what the scripture says, that just because you inherit something doesn't mean you have to pass it down. Um, Really? Uh, Where does the Bible say that? Because I just read in Romans chapter 5 that we all um, inherited our sinful natures from Adam. Mm-hmm. Or as 1 Corinthians 15 says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, so um, Yeah, we've got a problem here, and that is, is that Joel Osteen says that epigenetics has discovered what the Bible says, but he hasn't actually told us the truth about what the Bible says. This is not going to end well. You can deactivate the negative genes that have been passed down to you. Mm Mm-hmm, really. In other words, just because your mother was depressed. So, now, Christian sanctification in this scheme that he's uh, come up with using epigenetics, then, is no longer the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. No, no, no. Uh, you know, Christian sanctification is the proper activation and deactivation of the proper genes, deactivating negative traits that you don't like and activating positive traits. And uh, it's you doing the activating. Doesn't mean you're supposed to be depressed. You may have a natural tendency
3: toward that. What you have to do is turn off that gene
0: deactivate it. Don't pass it down to your children. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us we can do this where? It's easy to use it
3: as an excuse. Well, mama was depressed. Mm -hmm. Grandmother was negative. Great grandmother was a complainer. Joel, that's just who I am. No, that is not who you are. You are a child of the most high God. And just as you got your physical DNA from your earthly parents, You've got your spiritual DNA from your Heavenly Father.
0: Mm-hmm. And where are the Bible passages about all the spiritual DNA stuff that I'm supposed to activate? He put in you genes of joy. Mm-hmm. Joy genes, right. Genes of strength. Strength genes. I Apparently am lacking in those. Genes of peace. Genes of victory. V- victory genes. Oh Wow. <laughs> Wait a second. Aren't, isn't there already a brand of blue genes called victory now you get to choose
3: which genes come alive.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You may have had a lot of negative baggage passed down to you in your family line or addictions, divorce, depression, low self esteem. Don't be passive and just
0: accept it. Mm-hmm. God has raised you up to put an end to it. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, now this might sound like, oh, this is some amazing advice here. <gasps> Can you believe this? He's he's found uh, the cure for sin in the, in the science of epigenetics. All I've got to do is activate the right genes and deactivate the wrong genes. Okay, sure. Go ahead. Tell me how you activate and deactivate genes. Do you have to go to a laboratory for this? Does somebody have to draw blood and then sit down and do a genome thing on you to figure out where your negative genes are so that you can deactivate those? I mean, do you, is there some kind of chemical compound that you need to apply to your life and learn how to manipulate using sonic brain power? I mean, I, I, I mean. I mean, this sounds great and all, but, um, you know, the devil's always in the details. So, um, again, um, how exactly do you activate and deactivate um, the right genes and the wrong genes? You got to draw the line in the sand and say, that's it. Mm -hmm. So I go out to the beach and I take a stick and draw a line in the sand and say, that's it. And that's how I activate or deactivate genes. Yeah, that's helpful.
3: I'm turning off the depressed gene. Uh-huh. So that's how you do it. huh? I am not going to live my life discouraged. This is the day the Lord
0: has made. Uh- so just saying this is the day the Lord has made is going to cause all those negative genes to all of a sudden go. Ooh, and, you know, they're going to uh, there's not going to be any more power to them. No blood flow or anything like that. And you're going to go, wow, I feel so much better. Yeah, like, who knew that all I had to do in order to activate positive genes Was to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I am going to choose to be happy. What are you doing? Deactivating the depressed gene. Uh Where in the Bible does it say that if I say positive flowery things about myself, that that's going to deactivate negative genes?
3: This is absurd. You're turning it off. Uh Why don't you turn off the negative gene?
0: Yeah, why don't I turn off the negative preacher who's teaching false doctrine? In fact, I think that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, in fact, I'm running a little long here on this segment. Ooh, this is going to change our our program up a little bit. Uh, Let's go ahead and take a break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian or follow me on Twitter. In there at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. We got a Cindy Jacobs update, and I think we'll do our Perry Noble update and save the Russell Moore thing till tomorrow. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
4: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: Hello, my name is Joe Oshin, and I want to tell you about my latest book, Every Day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out, I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas. Because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you can be casual at work. And they they's always having that 25-cent wing night down at Bubba Wings. Um, Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole everyday is Friday thing. And have made some not-so-nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, But Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are closed-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy!
0: more for travel than you need to. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with Joel Osteen's preaching. And that would be a good thing. He doesn't teach the truth just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world and you can partner with us by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46038 and let me thank you thank you thank you thank you for your support we cannot do what we are doing here without it okay moving along we have a uh, an update from cindy jacobs and the new apostolic reformation gang that requires us to do this
2: what do you want to do tonight
5: Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world.
1: The Pinky and the brain, yes, Pinky and the brain. One is a genius, the other's
6: insane. In laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced.
3: The Pinky, the Pinky and the brain. brain, 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 brain,
2: brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done,
0: All right. Now what we're going to be listening to is well, it's pretty bizarre. This is the best way I can put it, but it's it's not so bizarre that you probably have never heard it. Okay. Now you've heard the, you know, where Jesus talks about, you know, the strong man and you've got to bind the strong man, but that's all said kind of parabolically. Well, uh, the folks there at um, God knows TV, uh, well, God knows what they're talking about sure don't um they are going to be discussing a book called binding the strong man over america binding the strong man over america and, yeah i i can't um even begin to explain what it is that you're about to hear so it's best if we just let cindy jacobs set the set up the table for us and we'll just go with it here here, here we go
1: Hi, welcome to God Knows. Oh, we have such a great show today. We have our our good friend, Dr. John Benefield, and he's the author of Binding the Strong Men Over America. Let me tell you a little bit about John. He pastors a great Church of the Rock, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. That's an amazing not only church, but gathering place that the word of the Lord has gone forth for America. Chuck Pierce, Dead Sheets, many others, including uh, yours truly, have gone up there. And I- mm.
0: yeah, that's um, well. How do we put this uh, politely? That's quite a uh, <clears throat> a hit parade of uh, heretics that you've, say, uh, you say know, you have uh, visited and spoken at this man's church.
1: Okay. I, I would have to say it's one of the few places that if you really want to go give a word that there's such an open heaven. John actually started out as a financial planner, uh, has a master's degree in that, and God called him to preach, but he still does a lot working uh, with networking and business leaders as well. And he published his first book, "Buying the Men of America, recently. And Dr. Wagner, Peter Wagner, says this is one of the most amazing rewarding books I have ever read. Best book
0: see on- Peter Wagner. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, one the, I think he's a, he's a retired apostle. I think he's an apostle emeritus now.
1: ...warfare, and he has read a few, believe me. Well, welcome, John. Thank
5: you, Cindy. Thank you, Mike. And Always we, happy to be with you.
1: Yeah, you know, they say old friends are good friends. Yeah. And so glad to have you here. And we had Dutch Sheets on recently, and mm-hmm. We're all just buddies, you know, yeah. we're all traveling buddies and you've been
5: with us I don't know how many times. Yeah,
1: so it's not really, enough though. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> really great. Well, you know, on the last program we were talking about healing the land and yeah. in your book, this yeah. great That's book. One of the
5: subtitles of yep, it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The is uh Healing the Land, Transferring Wealth, Advancing the Kingdom of God, Binding the Strong Men Over America. And uh you know, we talked on the last program a little bit about healing the land, and I would like to get into something that you talk about uh, in the book that is so significant, the strong man. Binding the strong man over America. Why, why did you write the book? What, what was behind it?
5: Well, Cindy, I wanted to see, I, as you do, and Mike, I want to see our nation come back to the Lord. Right. And we have an enemy Mm-hmm. And you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 6:12 we wrestle not against flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but against principalities, powers, loose of the darkness of the, dark, the, dark, the darkness of the darkness mm-hmm. So as Christians, we have to learn how to deal with the unseen realm.
1: Yeah, good point. And
5: I think a lot of Christians would give that would say yes, I believe that and they they really think they really do believe it, but there's a difference between believing it on paper versus acting like it's true. Yeah. yeah. And the Bible says in, in Matthew twelve twenty four that Baal, I'll explain that in a minute, but Baal is the ruler of the demons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it says Beelzebub, <clears throat> but uh, when I looked that up years ago, I thought, well, it says uh, Lord of the Flies, and I mm-hmm. thought, well, I don't like flies, but they don't mm-hmm. bother me all that much. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't understand was it was Beelzebub. It's one mm-hmm. of the hundreds if not thousands of names of this entity called Baal. Mm. Baal, in my opinion, as I see it, is the false or counterfeit Jesus. Mm. It was said about Baal that his father's name was El. Well, that's one of our God's names. Mm -hmm. And that Baal died and was resurrected. Well, that's a false Jesus. My best understanding is this, that just as Jesus is the executor of the father's will, Baal is the executor of Satan's will. Wow. Notice something here.
0: Uh, He has something in common with Joel Osteen. Where is he getting this from? He's not really actually getting it from the Bible. And what he's doing is actually um, kind of misquoting Scripture here and then engaging in a lot of speculation. Listen, you don't want to go beyond the text. You don't want to go beyond the text. Stick to the text. Now, let's take a look at the passage that he's referencing. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, and we'll start at verse 22. Here's what it says. So then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? They're thinking, this man, this guy's miracles are a lot like what we were led to expect from the Old Testament regarding the Messiah, right? So, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, "Oh, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons." Now, I'm going to point something out here. Matthew twelve twenty four actually doesn't emphatically teach that Beelzebub is the prince of demons. What this text shows us is that the Pharisees believed Beelzebub to be the prince of the demons. And that's a big difference. Now, notice the, the Pharisees, you know, they have an interpretation for Jesus' ability to heal, right? Was their interpretation correct? No, it wasn't. It wasn't correct at all. They claim that Jesus healed by demonic power. And so this is what the text says. Now, so it was the Pharisees who said, and this is a direct quote from them. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, quote, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, that this man casts out demons. Now, this does not mean that the Bible teaches that Beelzebub is the prince of demons, at least not in this passage. This is what the Pharisees believed. But you're going to find that, well, there's really just not a lot in scripture regarding demonology. I mean, it's, there's some stuff there, but um, you do not, as a Christian, have to believe the Pharisees here, if you know what I'm saying. But let me continue reading the passage then. So then, knowing their thoughts, he, Jesus, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or... How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age. Or in the age to come. Now, that's the whole context of this passage. Notice here um, that Jesus here is talking about how can Satan cast out Satan, okay? And he goes on and he says, or how can someone enter a strong man's house? Jesus here is speaking metaphorically, and he's not saying, oh, you know, that uh, we have, that there's strong man's over America and things like that. No, 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 no. Okay. You can, if we're talking metaphorically here, who's the strong man? Satan is. Who's the one binding the strong man? You? Me? Cindy Jacobs? Mr. Benefield? No. Who is the one who just bound the strong man and plundered his house? Answer Jesus. Jesus just bound Satan and plundered Satan's goods and released from captivity a man who was demon-possessed. Who is the one who binds the strong man? It's Christ. Not me, not you, not anything else. So what's happening here in this video that we're listening to is an inability to pay attention to details of biblical texts. And um, now we've got a real problem. Let's continue to see what happens here in this video with this theology.
5: Satan is the evil counterfeit of our God, and, and Baal is the evil counterfeit of Jesus. So the Bible, you know, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians. He said, "He said you happily put up with what anybody tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is weird because um, Cindy Jacobs isn't exactly known for sound theology, now is she? Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit where um, Mr. Benefiel will actually explain a little bit more about this strong man, this Beelzebub, this Baal over... America. Now, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit ahead into the interview so we can get more of the details about binding the strong man and, and Baal and Beelzebub and all that kind of stuff. Here's Cindy Jacobs to kind of further along the topic.
1: But if we're going to heal a nation, let me talk to you just a second. If we're going to heal a nation, if the Bible says, this is Matthew um, uh, 12, 12. 29, how can you enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man? And then after the strong man is bound, then he will plunder his house and so you know it's very interesting this is clear and does the bible know this
0: passage isn't about us healing a nation yeah this this is uh, people who have no concept what the bible is about trying to figure out what it's about and they're not paying attention to what it's actually saying
1: talking about and so we need to ask ourselves questions we need to say if we're going to bind the strong man what is a strong man well again, the context the, of this passage
0: again the context of this passage makes it clear that jesus is the one who bound the strong man and plundered his kingdom releasing that poor demon possessed guy from the clutches of satan himself
1: john said earlier was beelzebub being the ruler of the demons
4: yeah so it's not so much as does the Bible know what it's talking about? The real issue is, do we know what the Bible's talking about? Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, no, you don't, John. You know, the the average American, even the average American in the pew, the Christian, are not have not been taught an right. understanding or of anything. this of the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we deal with the individual and individual sin. But many times we've forgotten to to highlight that there's a thing called corporate sin, Yes. and corporate sin can really impact a nation. Last program we were talking about how this is manifested as it relates to the Native Americans and Native peoples, and and uh, what using that as an example of how when one people group wrongs another people group that there are consequences of that, and then we went mm-hmm. back to the Old Testament example of, of Saul and the Gibeonites in the time of David. So. Uh, as, as we were talking between programs, we were talking about the need to do spiritual archaeology. Yes.
0: In other words, not only... <laughs> the need to do what? Spiritual archaeology, really? How do you do that? What tools
4: do you use? We need to understand this concept, but many times we don't go deep enough okay. to to find out, okay, what is really given Satan a legal right, mm-hmm. You're right. to to keep... Us from walking in the blessing that God has for
0: us, and this is mm, so. Satan apparently has a legal right to keep us, the United States of America, from walking in the blessing of God's favor, and we don't know this because we haven't done enough spiritual archaeology. <laughs> you can't make this up. This an American issue. No. This
4: is a global issue.
1: Yeah. What what allows the strong man to rule? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh man, this is just utter nonsense. that she, she asked that question with a straight face. I have no idea why she would do that unless she actually thinks that this is real.
1: So you began to study about this veil after that time and God really gave you this assignment, didn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, well,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, this assignment came all the way from the top.
5: Helped to point it out
1: to us actually Mm
5: -hmm. that this was a part of our assignment, Mm -hmm. and then God began to teach us in ways that that surprised us. You know, what we found, Cindy and Mike, was that uh, ancient Egyptians and Phoenicians, who were great mariners, actually came to this land uh, now called the United States and they left their petroglyphs, their rock art.
0: Mm. Ancient Egyptians, great mariners came, okay. So, is this related to the Book of Mormon?
5: They, as they as they came, they were Baal worshipers. That was wow. their god. Wow. And they left their petroglyphs, their rock art, as they went along the, the waterways, uh, claiming the land, literally claiming it for Baal. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you have video evidence of this?
5: Jodas wow. Jr. told us about this back in 99, yeah. and he said there's some caves in western Oklahoma that you need.
0: Whoa whoa, 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 wait, wait a second, wait a second. You just said that the Phoenicians and Egyptians, who were great mariners, came to North America and went along the coast claiming this land for Baal. And then the next word out of your mouth was petroglyphs in caves in Oklahoma. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Oklahoma is not on the eastern seaboard. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, those great they were such great
5: mariners they sailed right into Oklahoma. That is amazing. Go check out, he said that that's that's at least thirty five hundred years old. Wow. And we're not making this up about the ancient Egyptians. Right. Doctor right. Barry Fell, who was a Harvard professor, wrote a book, America B C back mm-hmm. in the seventies that details dozens, if not hundreds, of places across the United States. And other places in the world yeah, too. Texas yeah. too, don't we
1: have oh, the yeah. Te- bale caves? The, here? Yes, yeah. well, yeah, in yeah, Mexico
4: please. too. We were just in yes. Mexico at one of their, uh, well, it's not an
0: archaeological museum, but mm-hmm. uh, they're. Okay, so they're doing spiritual archaeology and they found traces of um, ancient Egyptian and Phoenician mariners who claimed the entire continent for bale. And see, well, there you go. That explains it. That's the strong man over America. And that's why we're not experiencing God's blessings and why there's such evil going on here. It's because of those rascally ancient Phoenicians who came and just cursed our whole land. And so I'm so glad these people have come and finally have figured out spiritual archaeologically how to save us from the strong man. Oh, this is ridiculous. Okay. Do you know why there's so much sin in the United States? It's because the United States has 300 million sinners living in it. (laughs) It's kind of that simple. And the church, rather than proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins, is listening to wingnuts like (laughs) Cindy Jacobs and Mike Jacobs who are sitting there going, well, you think the reason why there's so much evil going on out there is because there's Baal worshipers and those Phoenicians, you know, they were such good mariners. They sailed right into Oklahoma and and took Oklahoma for all. Oh, can you believe that? I
6: can't. We got to, we got to bind that strong man. Cause he's like all over Oklahoma.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> I got to okay, grab my composure here. I going to lose it here. I'm going to switch gears. I, we, <laughs> I want to get to the Perry Noble piece before we go to the break. And uh, I'll save the Russell Moore piece for tomorrow. But that is, <laughs> is one of the most ridiculous stuff I've ever heard. And it pays no attention to what the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12 was actually saying, what Jesus was really meant by that metaphor of the strong man. Whee! All right, Moving along.
3: It really doesn't matter
4: what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flare. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air? I'm a fraud, a hoax, a
3: charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with, with a
0: flair. No, no, that's right. That's our Perry Noble update. Now, kind of piggybacking off of our segment that we did last week with Perry Noble talking about, it is revealing straight up, you know, uh, you know, those vision casting leaders, you know. They get visions from God, and and this is what he said, and then you got to cast the vision. And Andy Stanley earlier this week explained to us the whole vision casting thing. Well, that's not an individual responsibility. It's a team sport, which then kind of begs the question, how do you know if your vision that you're casting that you've claimed to have received from God is actually a vision from God? Well, thankfully, Perry Noble has taken the time to write a blog post about this, and it's entitled, How Do You Know If Your Vision Is From God? Now... Now, before I read Perry Noble's um, answer to the question, how do you know your vision is from God, I would like to ask a few tough questions, okay? Um, So here's um, question number one, okay? What are the biblical qualifications for a vision caster? Okay. Where can I go in the Bible to find the biblical qualifications for a vision caster? Now, I know where I can go to find the biblical qualifications for an elder, a pastor. I know where I can go. You just look at the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, book of Titus. The, the, uh, the qualifications for a pastor are clearly laid out. Where in the Bible can I go to find the qualifications for a vision caster? I'm not familiar with that particular office. Okay? Um, Now, here's the next question. Now, does the gift of casting vision, now does that come by the laying on of hands or does God just zap the visionary? I I really would like to know because, you know, how do you receive the gift of of, uh, casting vision? And so this is some um, this is uh, inquiring minds would like to know. Okay, so h- here's the next question I have. So you know when you cast vision, you're, you're claiming to receive a vision from God. Um, when somebody questions or doubts a vision that a vision caster claims to have received from God, are they committing a mortal or a venial sin? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's right. Think about this. You know when so if you question or doubt a vision that a vision caster is casting, in fact, how does that how does that thing go? How many how many visions would a vision caster cast of a vision caster? You know Anyway, <clears throat> so when somebody questions or doubts a vision that a vision caster claims to have received from God, are they committing a mortal or a venial sin? This, I think this is important stuff that we need to uh, uh, be asking. Okay. Next question. Okay. So, um, do vision dissenters do they go to purgatory? Or are they just thrown into the lake of fire? Now, the reason I ask this is because it's very clear that uh, vision dissenting will get you get, the, get you run over by the bus. okay? You, you're, you're gonna find yourself completely out of a secret driven community if you question or dissent to uh, a vision. So uh, clearly, these guys believe that it's a sin. So I, you know I, inquiring minds would like to know um, if you if you actually doubt a vision uh, or you are, are a vision dissenter, do you go to purgatory when you die, or are you just thrown into the lake of fire? Now, I asked this question on Twitter uh, last night, and somebody pointed out to me that um, that nowhere in Scripture does it teach the doctrine of purgatory. And my response to that person was that um, there are just as many um, Bible passages that teach the doctrine of purgatory as there are passages that teach the doctrine of vision casting. So I, that was my response to him. Okay. Um, and so um, now here's the next question. Okay, so what are the biblical tests to verify whether or not a vision that a vision caster is casting is legitimately from God? Where can I go to the, uh, to, in the Bible to find the test to see whether or not a vision caster is casting a vision that comes from God or if we're being deceived? Okay, um, let's see here. Um, yeah, and you know, just kind of my last thing here. And that's this. Um, I've noticed that I'm having a very difficult time, and I mean that in in the truest sense of the word. I'm having a very difficult time finding the passages um, that that answer these questions anywhere in the Bible. I wonder why that is. Could it possibly be that nowhere in the Bible does it teach vision casting at all? Hmm? <clears throat> Just you know, I, I throw it out there as a question for you to consider. So now let, let's go on to uh, uh, Perry Noble's. Blog post and the question is, how do you know if your vision is from God? Okay, so um, Perry Noble says, great question. Here are a few suggestions. Now notice he doesn't say biblical passages. And yet Perry Noble in this blog post does not say, okay, here's what the Bible says about vision casting. Here's and here's how we know. He says here are a few suggestions. Suggestions? I mean, really, all you got are suggestions. All right, so uh, suggestion number one from Perry Noble. If you feel confident that you can accomplish what is in front of you with no problem at all, well, then you didn't hear from God. Mm -hmm. No biblical passage is cited to back that up. Okay, suggestion number two. If no one is angry at you, then you didn't hear from God. Mm -hmm. Again, no biblical citation is provided. Next, if you don't have to ask anyone to sacrifice to make the vision come true, well, then you didn't hear it from God. Uh-huh. All right. If religious people are not steaming at you, blogging about you and or leaving your church, then you didn't hear it from God if you have the money in the bank to do what God has asked you, your church to do, well, then you didn't hear it from God. And if every step is perfectly designed and nothing happens to totally throw you off along the way, well, then you didn't hear from God. And if somebody doesn't try to talk you out of what you are about to attempt, then you didn't hear it from God. And if you don't stay up at night thinking about the vision, then you didn't hear it from God. And if your vision is in contradiction to God's word, and by the way, vision casting itself is, isn't that weird, um, then you didn't hear it from God. In other words, I would just basically make the argument that because vision casting is contrary to God's word, vision casting isn't from God, and those who claim to be receiving visions to cast to their congregation didn't hear it from God. That would be my conclusion. So there you go. I mean, there's Perry Noble discussing. How do you know if your vision is from God? And well, of course, vision casters believe their vision is from God. So there you go. Now, I'm envisioning that it's time for us to take our second break, <clears throat> so uh, we're going to do that. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a uh, David Crank sermon. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
4: Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs> All right, we're back. Hour number two of "Fighting for the Faith" sermon review time. Heading out to Faith Church in St. Louis, David Crank, who's going to be preaching if he hasn't already done so for uh, Stephen Furtick. Yeah, he's going. To, he's, David Crank's going to be one of the special preachers at uh, Elevation Church. You know, birds of a feather, they say. Let's do this right. Here we go.
5: Hey, ho. Oh. We got the bad, the ugly. We
0: review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service Today's Sermon comes to us via Faith Church, St. Louis, Missouri. David Crank presiding in the name of the message is Don't Lose Your Dreams. Now, if you were to just guess, you know, take a guess, which passage do you think David Crank is going to be preaching from with a name like that? Don't lose your dreams. Which verse passage of the Scripture do you think this is uh, going to be based on? No, it's not Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Without a vision, people perish. That's not with this. Uh, that's not the primary text for this uh, sermon. Yeah. First Kings eighteen is the answer. First Kings eighteen, the story of uh, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and uh, then it's gonna rain again. Uh huh. Talk about missing the point. Yeah, I know. And I, I heard you listen. I, that person in the audience, I just heard say, "Oh, come on, he can't really be serious about trying to." Yeah, he is. He really is. So let me <laughs> let me go ahead and kill the music here. And uh, without any further ado, if you want to open up your Bible to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, that's the uh, text that David Crank will be preaching from, here is the sermon entitled, Don't Lose Your Dreams. Here we go.
6: Tonight I want to talk to you about vision, envisioning things, seeing things on the inside of
0: you over and over and over. What is it with these guys and their complete obsession with vision and seeing things on the inside of you? It's, it's weird being a visionary. You're... Oh, I, I know. It's got to be a really tough cross for you to bear. I mean, yeah. I mean, poor David Crank. It's so difficult for him because he's a visionary.
6: You're partly in this world and partly in another world. In other words, you're always dreaming up stuff, telling other people about your goals, your aspirations. And what's happening in your spirit is from God.
0: The enemy and you... All... Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think what's happening inside of your spirit, David, is from God. And the reason I would say that is because there's no evidence for me to believe that what's happening in you is from God because you don't handle God's Word correctly. If God the Holy Spirit were really the guy or the source of all these visionary ideas that you have, David, then why do you twist His Word? And then why would God give you a grand vision if what you're going to do to His Word is mangle it and butcher it and not teach it properly? The enemy, and you oftentimes hear me say this, the enemy. Tries
6: to talk you out of what God's trying to talk you into. So over the next 30 minutes, I want to let you know that uh, you're not normal. You can't be normal and go to church on Tuesday night. It's not normal. Ask any of your friends at work tomorrow, what'd you do last night? They, They didn't go to church. It's not normal. You're abnormal. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm abnormal.
0: Come on, shout it again. I'm abnormal. Already, who is he preaching about? He's preaching about himself and preaching about them. Is he preaching Jesus? No, not at all.
6: Come on, shout it again. I'm abnormal. Focus on the abs part, the abs normal. Abnormal. I'm abnormally healed, abnormally blessed, abnormally intelligent, abnormally favored. It's just not even normal, the kind of life that I am called to live. Now, a lot of times when God puts something in your spirit, the interesting thing about it is that if you get around the wrong people, they'll try to talk you out of. They'll say, well, nobody's ever
0: done that. Isn't that weird? Because, you know, Perry Noble you know, basically said you could tell a visions from God if somebody tries to talk you out of it. Yeah, Perry Noble and David Crank are theologically somehow related to each other. Isn't that interesting? That's not normal. And then if
6: you hang around normal people, you will become normal. I don't like normal. Normal is overrated. It's broke. It's discontented. It's average. Your dream has to be big enough for you and a lot of other people. I'm just talking right now to my spirit. I told my wife that today. I said, I'm so glad we were driving down the road with a lot of bills and a lot of problems and adversity and challenges and favor and and supernatural breakthrough. And all this is going on at the same time. And I said, you know what I'm glad about? That our vision is big enough for somebody besides just us.
0: hmm You know what's interesting as I listen to this? I liken this to the sweep of the dragon's tail. From the uh, book of Revelation, where it talks about how the da- dragon swept a third of the stars out of the heaven. This is the kind of message that just is like the sweep of the dragon's tail. Totally gets you focused on yourself rather than Christ.
6: My daughter, who's nine on the front row, who's about to come up on the stage because you're about to see somebody just real quick who's not even remotely normal. This girl is abnormally good-looking, abnormally favored, (laughs) abnormally blessed. This is her right here. Look at that. That is not a face that only a mother could love. Anybody could love that face. So I wanted you online to see her. I picked her up from school today and told her that we would go pick up her friend, Victoria. We went to Victoria's house, and she was in the midst of telling me about a dream. As soon as we, we I picked her up, she started talking. And we were in the, on the way to her house. We started talking. She just won't stop talking, and that's why I know she, she'll pastor this church someday because you've got to do a lot of that. We pulled up
0: into her friend's driveway, and she was in the midst of so, telling me this dream. She's in. So your daughter's going to pastor the church someday? Yeah, God's word forbids that. We pulled up into her friend's
6: driveway, and she was in the midst of telling me this dream. She's into it about four sentences. She stops. She goes to Victoria. She pre- opens the door for Victoria, gets in the back, and gets in the back with her. And she said, I was telling my father about a dream. I thought, no, how are you doing? How was your day at school? She said, I had a dream. And I went to Katy Perry's concert. This is a dream I had last night. I went to Katy Perry's concert, and I was sitting on the third row. She had just come out with a new album, and it had no bad language and it was so great and it was so wonderful and i paused because i felt that because her friend no hello no how's your day what's going on in your life it's all about hey here's the dream that i had and she said i said ask him wait a minute did your dream have me in it no i said did the third row seats have victoria in it no and right then and there you know it's just okay i'm not putting her down i'm just telling you that's when i had that thought i'm glad That your dream and my dream is bigger than just our dream. Your dream needs to include all kinds of people, employ all kinds of people, change all kinds of people's lives. Come on, somebody.
0: And where does the Bible teach this? Answer, it doesn't. And then she said something pretty cute.
6: She said, "And right before she was getting ready to sing, I woke up. I don't know what happened. I'll never know what happened if I could have kept dreaming for five more minutes. How many of y'all have those kind of dreams? You're like, man, what happened? Raise your hand if you sleep at nighttime. How many of y'all have dreams? But your dream has to be bigger. And average people, they get content with being okay with not being okay. It's okay to be in debt. It's okay not to employ other people. It's okay to be overweight. It's okay to die early. It's okay to eat all the junk everybody else eats. Let me tell you something tonight. I'm speaking to leaders who envision things beyond themselves. I'm talking about speaking to things that are not as though they would become.
0: Ah, so this is a sermon designed to kind of primp and preen and raise up new vision-casting leaders. Uh Uh-huh. I'm talking about building a boat when it's not raining. Somebody ought to help
6: me here tonight. I'm talking about planning a a baby shower in your 90 and and nobody else thinks you're crazy. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? I'm talking about it's going to rain, but there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. Do you realize how little a cloud the size of a man's hand is in reality?
0: Now that, believe it or not, is the segue into uh, apparently the text that he's going to be teaching from. From 1 Kings. Uh, Because, you know, you remember when, you know, it didn't rain in Israel. And then finally after the showdown with the prophets of Baal, then, oh, oh, that's what Elijah did. He bound the strong man. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, I'm mixing segments here. And, uh, and you know, and so he was praying for rain and there was a cloud the size of a man's fist. Let's see that. Apparently that was... That whole th- segment of Scripture is all about vision casting. Who knew? On the earth, and you're looking up into the stratosphere, you, got cl- uh, you know got uh,
6: stratosformed clouds, you got cumulus clouds, you got cumulonimbus clouds, all these things they teach you in flight school, all kinds of clouds, but they're always big, not one about the size of a man's hand. And you certainly don't celebrate when you see one. Somebody ought to help me today. I'm talking about vision. Everybody shout vision. Without a vision, people perish. If you want your business to perish, your dream to perish, your goals in life to perish.
0: Yeah, um, again, yeah, that's a misquote. You know, he just he didn't even give us the reference. I mean, but there was Proverbs twenty-nine eighteen, in case you missed it. Without a vision, people perish. But again, I I will point out, let's put it back in context, which is a lot easier to do with Proverbs because many of the Proverbs are kind of standalone, you know what I'm saying? And so here's what it says where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, comma. But blessed is he who keeps the Torah, the law. Yep. So, what's the prophetic vision that people are ca- that cause, without it, that people cast off restraint? It's not a vision for their life, some direct revelation for them. It's the written word of God. That's what Proverbs twenty nine eighteen is referring to. We continue. Then stop having vision,
6: vision. I want you to turn with me, if you will. And while you're turning to uh, 1 Kings 18, I want you to say this with me. Shout, I have vision. Like you had breakfast, I have megavision.
0: You have megavision. Uh-huh. Where in the Bible is the great doctrine of megavision taught? 1 Kings
6: 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah went and presented himself to Ahab, and and there was a severe famine. Everybody shout, severe famine. This isn't a life famine. What kind of famine is this? Verse 5. And Ahab said, go into the land of the springs of water and the brooks, and perhaps we'll find grass for our horses, mules, so we can keep them alive, and none of our livestock will perish because there was a what kind of famine? Verse 8. And he answered them and said, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Verse 12, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to the place that I do not know, and you will go tell Ahab that he cannot find you, and he will kill me. But your servant has feared the Lord from his youth. Now, let's paint this picture. These guys are all on the run, 150 prophets of Baal, because these evil men are in power and they're killing kings and priests and so on. And then the next thing you know, God tells Elijah, it's going to rain. Speak to rain, severe drought. And you might be in a drought tonight in your marriage. It might be all dried up. Your finances all dried up. The hopes of your children ever changing all dried up.
0: Now, I'm going to pause right there. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the story. In fact, we're going to do something we haven't done in a while. We're going to actually work through a large swath of uh, the Old Testament. You have your Bible, and you had it open to 1 Kings chapter 18. I need you to back up to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to apply context, context, context in a grand scale, and we are going to work our way through the story. And when you know what the story is about, then you will easily spot the deceit, Bible-twisting, and deception of David Crank. Now, here's what it says. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Mm -hmm. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is in the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, those are the first seven verses of chapter 17. A little note of what's going on here. Baal is the uh, favorite god, the favorite uh, favorite deity of Jezebel, which is um, Ahab's wife. Mm-hmm. And she is a wicked, evil woman. And she is putting to death uh, those who are believing in Yahweh. She's putting to death Yahweh's prophets. Elijah is a prophet of Yahweh. And God's word, the word of the Lord comes to him, and there's going to be a showdown. Now, w- why is this important? Because Baal is supposedly the god of the air, the god of the sky. The, you know, He's the one who brings the rain. And so the idea here is Yah- Yahweh says, oh, yeah, right, yeah, huh. Baal doesn't even exist. No, nope, not at all. And so because you think Baal's the one who brings the rain, I'm sending my prophet Elijah, and it's not going to rain until he says so. To prove to you Baal is completely impotent. That's what's going on here. So Elijah shows up and he has a little talk with Ahab, Jezebel's husband, king of Israel, and says, hey, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then he disappears. And... God provides for Elijah. He's hiding out. He is on the run. He is Israel's most wanted. If they had wanted posters back then, there would have been a there would have been photos and and wanted posters all over the post offices of Israel at the time. Although that's kind of an anachronism, uh, with Elijah's face on it, saying "wanted, alive." He needs to be alive. We need to find Elijah. Where is he? It's not raining, right? Because it's not going to rain until he says so. So then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, "'Rise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you.' So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, "'Bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink.' And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, "'Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand.' And she said, as Yahweh, your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour and a jar uh, uh, and a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm going to go gather a couple of sticks that I might go and prepare it for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Yeah, things are bad, right? So Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But Go ahead ahead and kill yourself. But first, make, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord Yahweh sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, well, he became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, "'What have you against me, O man of God?' you have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Now I'm going to pause here, okay? This little incident of the the raising of the dead son of this uh, this woman points us directly to Jesus, okay? Jesus when he was passing through this region in his own ministry, what did he do? He raised a widow's son to life. So here we've got a type and shadow, a a miracle That's going to cause people in Jesus's day to realize, oh my, a great prophet is among us. That's what's going to happen. So this, this, even this little miracle has like a direct beeline right to Jesus. So let me continue reading. So she said, what have you against me? O son of man, oh man of God, you have come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper room where he lodged and laid him on his own bed And he cried out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times, and cried to Yahweh, O Yahweh, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And Yahweh listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber. And into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, "See, your son lives." And the woman said to Elijah, "Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of Yahweh is in is in your mouth is true." Uh huh. She becomes a believer. So Yahweh is no longer Elijah's God. Yeah. No, the widow of Zarephath, Yahweh is her God too. Right. So. Chapter 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So it's three years since the drought began. <clears throat> no rain, none. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah sent. I went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared Yahweh greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land into all the springs of water, into all the valleys. Perhaps we might find grass and save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered, It is I. Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As Yahweh your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they have not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you to, well, I don't know where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared Yahweh from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of Yahweh's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As surely as Yahweh of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of Yahweh and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, well, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let two bowls be given to us, and let them choose one bowl for themselves, and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And they took their bowl that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, "O oh, Baal, answer us!" But there was no voice, no one answered, and they limped around the altar, and they and, and they had that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, "Cry louder, He is a god, isn't he? Either he's musing or Perhaps he's relieving himself. Relieving himself as in going to the bathroom. That's what that text means right there. Or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention because Baal doesn't exist. So then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of Yahweh that had been thrown down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed, and he put wood in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering on and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And then and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. That's right, this sacrifice is baptized three times in the name of the Father, the Son. The Holy Spirit. Uh huh. So they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, He is God! Yahweh, He is God! And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up. To eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezebel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, that's the story. There's more to it. Okay? There's more to it, but that's the story. 1 Kings 17. And 18. You now know what the story is about. And I don't even really have to interpret this very much for you, now do I? Is this text about vision casting? Not at all. It's about judgment. judgments against false gods and false prophets. But it's also about God's mercy. Yahweh bringing Israel to repentance of their idolatry. Yeah, showing himself powerful and proving that the other deities, no matter what they're named, Baal or whatever, Asherah, Molech, They don't exist. Yahweh is the one who exists. He's the one who graciously sends the rain so that our crops may grow so that we may live. Everything we have is from the hand of the Lord. That's what this text is about. It's not about vision casting. But now that you've heard it, read to you in context and know what the passage is about, let's see what David Crank then is going to do with this.
6: Speak to rain, severe drought. And you might be in a drought tonight in your marriage. It might be all dried up. Your finances all dried up. The hopes of your children ever changing all dried up.
0: R- really? First uh, Kings 18 has nothing to do with your marriage or your finances or anything being dried up. And he said something out of
6: his mouth. He says, look, go, I want you to go tell them. I don't even know where they're at, but I want you to go tell them these words. I want you to tell them that there's about to be a flood, a deluge, a big outpouring of rain. 1841, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound, everybody shout sound, of the abundance of rain. There is a sound of the abundance of rain. I was thinking today about how this prophet must have felt. When it hasn't rained in years, severe drought, and you need to go prophesy, you would be tempted to say tomorrow, if you're not a visionary... If you don't have big dreams, if you're normal. Tomorrow, when you guys wake up, there might be some dew on the ground.
0: Um, was Elijah a, a visionary? Was this about vision casting? There might be some moisture on the ground. Or even you know, if he's
6: a little bit stronger visionary, he's got a lot of faith, he might say, Hey, tomorrow when you wake up, just just let everybody know, it might there might be some mist. But when you go out and it hasn't rained in years, and you go and tell everybody, get ready because there's going to be abundance of rain mega rain. Rain like you've never seen before. I'm talking about chariots getting stuck. If you're ever going to buy a dump truck or a tow truck, now would be the time to do it because you'll make loads of money tomorrow pulling people out because it's about to rain. Not just an average rain, it's going to be an abundance, a mega, a huge, a downpour, all the drought, the, the cracked ground. Don't worry about moving somewhere else. That's what they were doing. Maybe we can move our mules over here, our finances over here. We need to switch businesses. No. When you figure out what God told you to do, Having done all the stand, you stand there knowing that you don't have to go to another geographical location for God to move. He can move at the last place he told you he was gonna move. Somebody ought to shout amen in here today. (laughs) Abundance of rain. Now, if you go to verse 42, it says, so Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of the mountain of Carmel and there he bowed to the ground. And I love this. He put his... Face between his knees. He's on top of the mountain. He went like this.
0: Now, wait till you hear why he thinks this is so important. What was Elijah doing with his face between his knees? Yeah, you might want to be sitting down.
6: I can't even do it because I'm not that limber. He put his face between his knees. Because he's freaking out about right now. Why? He doesn't need to see anything.
0: He's in the birthing position. There you go. So the reason why Elijah is doing that is because he's in the birthing position. He's about to birth rain. Yeah, this is demonic. He's got his hands over his ears because
6: he doesn't need to hear anything anybody else is saying on the outside. There are certain times in your life when you're a visionary and you're going through hell, and you know it's supposed to rain, and the marriage is supposed to
0: uh, come back to life, and the and the famine's about to turn around. That sometimes you now notice that David Crank completely omitted the part about the showdown at Mount Carmel between the false prophets and the real prophet. Do you know why he did that? The reason he did that because he knows that if he told the story correctly from Scripture in context, he wouldn't be able to hijack the story to make it about being a visionary leader. Because as soon as you know what the story really is about, there's no way, there's no way you will ever be deceived into believing what he's saying about this story. We continue. You gotta put your head between your knees and you got to close off all the
6: outside chit chat of normal people's spectrum and their believing and you got to say what you know you see on the inside. Because if you're not careful when you're believing God, every ding dong in the world to come up and jack what God's doing in your life because they'll say it's not normal. And you say, I don't serve a normal God, I serve an abundance God. We're not expecting come on, we're not expecting rain. I don't want to. By God, we're gonna have a flood of I gotta close everybody else out. There was a preacher who had 11 kids, no health insurance. His name was Alfred Hinton. He was African American guy. He traveled in a used limo because he had so many kids. And my dad was crazy enough to have this guy preach. And he was a wild preacher. Talk about the kind that he'd take the microphone and be like, everybody here tonight. <laughs>
0: Got living kids. And, uh, God's about to do
6: something here tonight. <laughs> and you could hear him breathe. And then the sound guy would, he'd say, turn me up, sound man. Turn me up, sound man. Turn me up. I'll be good. I'll be good. And he put the mic down. The sound man would turn him up and then he'd put it right back in his mouth. just like that because he needed to make a point up <laughs> So so one day we go with his eleven kids. There might have been twelve. I get confused because Jesus had the twelve disciples, and he either had eleven or twelve. But after eight, eight is enough. If you watch the show,
0: after eight you're not even counting anymore. Whoever gets in the limo goes, and those that don't don't get to stay. Turn me up. How does this sermon illustration help us understand correctly what's going on in First Kings chapter eighteen? I would I would argue that it doesn't. This has nothing to do with what First Kings chapter 18 is really about.
6: Yep, tell man, I'll be good. <laughs> so there's a little, little girl, she's about six, and they never got to eat cereal. Especially good cereal. They if they ate cereal, they didn't have Cheerios, they just had O's. <laughs> Anyone know what I'm talking about generic stuff? Arbalone didn't have a first name. So my my dad would always buy good cereal for them. And one day I walked downstairs and there's all these kids. And I'm a young boy myself. I'm about 15. And I walked down and there's a little black girl sitting there at the table eating Captain Crunch going. And I looked at her. She smiled. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I like to hear myself crunch. (laughs) If you, at some point in your life close your ears and you chew it sounds different than outside and every once in a while you got to close your ears to everything outside so you can hear something on the inside that saying it's about to rain i'm about to go back and get my healing I know
0: wow talk about ad- ad- adventures and missing the point He's completely clueless as to what this passage is really about, but he sure is worked up. Oh, man, he's got those people laughing. They're going to leave Faith Church there in St. Louis and just think, that was the best sermon ever. Why? Because the pastor made them laugh. How much liquid Drano do you like in your food? Because this one's chock full with it. So much so, it'll kill you.
6: It's not Sunday. I'm putting a spank on this right now. I'm telling you, I was ready to preach when I woke up. I was ready to preach when my daughter kept talking. I said, shut up and let me talk. I had a dream myself. Sometimes you have to get your head between your knees and say, I'm about to give birth to what God is doing in my life, and it doesn't seem normal, and it doesn't seem possible. I'm here to tell you, my whole life's impossible.
0: You can't have two churches this big. Now, who is he preaching about? Himself. That's right. Now we're going to talk about David Crank. Not Jesus. David. Not true worship and faith of the one true God, the one that really lives. No, we're going to talk about David Crank. Especially when you didn't go to cemetery,
6: cemetery, seminary. It shows. Especially when you don't have a formal education. You can't do this unless you have the ability to close your eyes and see things that normal people can't see, and then you're... Bold enough to close your eyes and open your mouth. A lot of people dream when they're by themselves.
0: Mm. So he's just like the prophet Elijah. Right.
6: But when you're really crazy is when you dream in front of all kinds of people. And then you say, write this down. Tell the president it's going to rain tomorrow. It's going to be an abundance of rain tomorrow mega rain. I'm talking right now, mega money. I'm talking about mega healing. I'm talking about mega
0: he- uh, uh, home sales. Come on. Yeah, I'm talking about mega heresy, mega Bible twisting, mega missing the point.
6: Come on, Somebody ought to help me. Tonight. I just, if you're crazy enough, you'll hook up to this. If you think it's okay to be okay, then just say okay. But I don't like okay. Okay makes me sick. You know what? If you're not Okay with okay, you will draw some mega leaders to you. I'm surprised all the time. I had some dude from a foreign, uh, not a foreign country, but a different state from Texas call me today and say, I don't even know this guy. We buy billboards off of his company and he calls my cell phone. I start talking to the guy. He said, you know, I'm just thinking about you. I'm on this board at our church. We just built a $400 million campus and paid cash for it. And I just felt like I was supposed to, has anybody ever made you a suit? I said, no. He said, I said, the biggest desire to, to have tailors come up and make you a suit. And I said, I'll take it. And then I walked away and thought, that's not Normal. I'm saying that if you want to attract mega leaders, if you want to go to mega levels, you cannot stay back saying, well, I don't know if I want to put my butt on the line on this big deal.
0: If you want to attract mega leaders, really, the story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel and then them being slaughtered after it was shown that their deity doesn't exist, and then it finally raining after three years because of God's judgment on Israel and their worship of all. This is about attracting mega leaders. Really? How did you figure that out? Maybe it's because you didn't go to cemetery.
6: I'm talking about buying office space when you don't even have clients. I'm talking about building out and say, well, I don't even have a business yet, but maybe I'll take the other half of the floor. I'm talking about, guess what? It is going to rain, so prepare for rain. Guess what? We are going to have a baby, and I am impotent.
0: This is the word of faith heresy.
6: This is back for Viagra. This dude's dead. The Bible said that. He said, Abraham did not count the deadness of him or her womb. They were both dead. But he wasn't looking in the natural. He went down and said... I got to see something right now. I just can't. Everybody else thinks I'm crazy. Everybody, all my family thinks I'm crazy. I moved away from everybody in Genesis because God told me to get away from those other people because I could hear them talk about my dream and about my destiny and about my lack of education, about the doctor's report. Every once in a while, you need to just go in this position.
0: And when they ask what's wrong, so Abraham was in the fetal position, really? Okay, I don't recall reading that in Genesis. And when they ask what's
6: wrong, he's in the fetal position. Say, yeah, because there's something embryonic working on the inside of me right now. and You can't tell I'm pregnant, but I'm pregnant. You cannot listen to all those discouraging moments that the devil has brought into your life when God is about to do something next level in your life. He wants to take this moment of trouble and trial that you're in right now and turn it around for a promotion. He's wanting to reverse the situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Really, and that's what First Kings is teaching us, really. Yeah, folks, uh, how's the passage go in Scripture? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Mm-hmm. This whole idea that he's talking about birthing your visions and stuff like that, this is actually false doctrine. This is called leaven, yeah, which is yeast, which means what we're dealing with here at Faith Church in St. Louis is not a pregnancy. Yeah, They've misdiagnosed it. This is not pregnancy. This is a yeast infection. But you and I, we have to stop listening to the outside voices. Old technology.
6: Was it a uh, surgeon today and a doctor that wanted to go to lunch, and I went there? Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Two surgeons, a doctor, and a preacher walked into a restaurant. If I could get another, some more notes. And the one doctor had broken his arm, and he's in a cast. He's a friend of mine. He's also a pilot. He can't move his For eight weeks, his arm is in a cast. Not a cast, though. It's They've cranked it down. they got some kind of thing now. And I said, what's that about? And the, uh, the surgeon said, if you ever break your arm, don't go to an old doctor. Go to the new doctors because the old doctors still put screws in people like they did when they taught them 30 years ago. But you don't have to put screws in your arm anymore because then you'll be handicapped for the most part the rest of your life. And, and, and then he began to tell me about a guy who just is his best friend. His son broke his arm, and they took him to an old doctor, and they put two screws in it. And he said, Dad, my arm still hurts. Three months later, they took him back, and they x-rayed the arm. And when they did, there was drill marks where they had screwed and missed the bone a couple times. So where the bone wasn't totally formed back together properly, he was in pain. Now, they got pictures of that, and they're going to sue him. But this guy said, the last thing I was going to do was go to somebody that's thinking 30 years ago talking about a smart doctor right now. I'm talking about a young doctor right now. I'm talking about a guy who went and said, what do we do now? And they said, all we need to do is reset this thing where it is. And we put this new thing on you because a cast pulls it down and it doesn't heal right. But the new technology we have, we, we, we just put it tighter and tighter every week after week. And then if you take all these supplements, these vitamins and these minerals and take these injections, then the human growth hormone in, in your body will come back together and you'll be healed up in no time. And within six weeks now, six weeks with the gas within six weeks he's back to almost a hundred percent but you don't want to take it off just yet because he's still working on the healing process
0: and what exactly does this have to do with first kings chapter 18 again oh that's right absolutely nothing the point of that whole topic is don't listen to people who are thinking
6: with technology 30 years ago well my daddy always i don't care dad's dead For the first four years of my uh, ministry here, I would still be doing things the way my dad would do it. I still sometimes, in fact, this Sunday night, somebody jacked with something and I said, you know what my daddy would do about right now in front of my wife? And she said, you're not your daddy. Your daddy had a little church. Because you can't be doing what they did or you will get what they got. And what God is going to do in your life is going to require you going to a bunch of people who are in a season of drought and saying, come here, we're working on something right now. And your business doesn't have to go down. Come on, let's don't Your 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 report can be different. Your healing can be uh, expedited. If you spend all your time envisioning yourself doing wrong, you won't ever be able to become right Hmm.
0: yeah um he sounds like one of those prophets of baal doesn't he and that's what david crank really is
6: what's wrong with me i always do that many times we reason and falter and fail then we have this internal vision of carnality that continues to manifest in our life. If you think this way, you will be this way. The Bible says, the man thinking in his heart, so is he. I said at the beginning, and I say it again, what happens in your spirit will eventually happen in your life. What you see, you will be. You ought to be writing this stuff down. I get the CD. I'm going to get it myself.
0: Yeah, this is the exact same heresy that we heard earlier from Joel Osteen, except for he just used the genetic metaphor. You got to activate genes and deactivate them kind of thing, you know? What you see, you will be. In
6: other words, what you focus on will begin to materialize in your spirit once you visualize.
0: Visualization. Now, what's fascinating about this doctrine is it cuts you off from something very important, the forgiveness of your sins. Notice he says what you see is what you will be, right? And rather than confessing the truth about yourself, and that is that you are a sinner. Oh, you don't want to talk that way because if you talk that way, you are going to be that way. So you got to say positive things about yourself. You say things like, I am strong. My breakthrough is coming. I am victorious and things like that. But Scripture says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So if you believe this theology of David Crank's about always saying the positive things about yourself, what's the one thing you're not going to say about yourself? The truth, that you're a sinner. You're cutting yourself off from the forgiveness of sins. Back it up just a little bit. Listen again. What you see, you
6: will be. In other words, what you focus on will begin to materialize in your spirit once you visualize. Visualization is the most powerful tool to you becoming who you want to be and you looking the way you want to look. I'm going to get right nasty for a second. This is only for your health. I'll be here for two seconds. I'm going to get right back out, okay? I'm like a dentist. Just one second. It's going to hurt a minute. If you go into the restaurant and everybody in there is 300 pounds overweight, you need to walk out that restaurant. Because apparently, whatever they're putting in that food in there is ballooning people up.
0: And what does this have to do again with 1 Kings chapter 18? Nothing. Absolutely nothing.
6: And it's causing them to have. Hunger because they didn't get real food and then they keep putting in false food and then they're overweight and then now their knees go out and then they have all kinds of problems. If you want to be healthy, you need to look and say, What are those people doing over there? and then you visualize yourself being like that and then show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you hang around people that are low level thinkers, you will continue to produce low level
0: mediocrity in your own life. If you hang around, yeah, people- now I want to point something out here. If you believe this, then you got a problem, okay? So, in order to to attain greatness in your life, you've got to hang out with people who don't have low-level mediocrity. You don't want to hang out with them. But if you're not already like a super high producer, what are you? You're mediocre. So you have to find a way to sneak into the circles of those who aren't mediocre and hang around with them. But then what would happen then? Your mediocrity would drag their excellence down, would it not? We continue
6: people that are big thinkers, then all of a sudden what God called you to do will pale in comparison so you'll go, that's no big deal. You know how we bought this building? I I went out with a couple guys and they, they showed me their boat and it was $5 million for the boat, okay? They paid $5 million for the boat. And he took me to another guy's boat and we went over on this day's boat and it was $15 million for the boat. And then we were just having a dinner party and so we went on this one lady's boat and how much was the chandelier inside her boat? That lady that had the fancy thing. I don't even know. What was it was, I guess 300000 or something. It's crazy. Like she, Lali, I don't even know how to say it, but it was a Lali custom-made, incredible piece of art hanging over in her boat. And it was either three hundred or 400000 I forget. But anything over $39,95. <laughs> you all understand what I'm saying? They didn't sell this. She didn't get this at Home Depot.
0: $300,000 for a chandelier on a boat. Wow. <laughs> And I rent my house. $300,000 would buy me a house so big I wouldn't know what to do with it. And this, and he's talking about a woman who bought a chandelier for her $5 million boat. And the chandelier was more than most people's homes cost. Okay. Great. And this is what we're supposed to aspire to as Christians. Sounds like the worship of mammon to me.
6: And when I saw that, I was getting ready to buy Earth City. Now, Earth City didn't fit in my spirit. I couldn't picture it because I'd spent my whole life at 1416 Larkin Williams Road in a small building, and it it wouldn't fit. But when I went in there and I saw that boat and I saw the other people's boat, and it's okay. I'm glad they got the boat, especially now, because if I hadn't seen their boat, I wouldn't have been able to build God a boat. So then God spoke to me and he said, While you're wondering, wavering, and waiting, people are dying, and going to hell. I need you to build me a boat. 3590 right or Trail.
0: Yeah, so David Crank is now Noah. But if he was really Noah and the boat that he built called Faith Church in St. Louis um, was really a boat that God commanded him to build so that people would be saved, why isn't he preaching the truth about what God's word says? Why is he preaching himself rather than Christ? Why is he preaching? and telling people to affirm positive things about themselves and and think big thoughts about themselves rather than bring them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins by properly preaching and distinguishing between God's law and the gospel. Do you think God really told David Crank to build Faith Church St. Louis? No. His false teaching shows that he's not hearing from God. Now, he may be hearing from a, a being who aspires to be like God, isn't and that that being would be the dragon and like I said this sermon I can hear the crack of the dragon's tail
6: comes up for sale and they want 6.3 million dollars now that sounds like all the money in the world how many of y'all don't want payments on 6.3 million raise your hand okay well I didn't either now what I had to do was think if them guys can have a 15 million dollar boat If this guy can have a $5 million boat, then surely with God's help and a church full of people that are willing to give and help and support, we could build God a house. Somebody ought to help me right now. I'm saying that if I hadn't have been around some successful people, notice this, with detailed imagination, I would have never known I could do it. I've always been around people with messed up imaginations that was out of control. My dad's imagination, I love him, but he thought, don't borrow any money because all the world's coming to an end and you got to get out of debt. I wrote a book about getting out of debt. My daddy told me never getting debt and he was worried all his life being in debt. And I was scared out of my mind because I was thinking the way my dad taught me instead of the way my father taught me, which is my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I
0: began to visualize something good happening instead of something bad. Happening, And you made it happen by your visualization. You must be just like God, a little deity on earth. Who are they worshiping and who are they applauding? Jesus or David Crank? I don't hear anything about Jesus. I mean, we got just a little tiny mention of Jesus right there. But it was really in a, the context of David Crank. We continue. I begin to visualize lice on one side And no lice on this side. If you read the Old Testament, you know what I'm talking about. Frogs on this side. Yeah, so now he's allegorizing the plagues in Egypt against Pharaoh in Egypt before the Exodus. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, totally missing the point. Again, blessing on this side. God can do what he said he
6: could do, but you and I have to drop the negativity and imagining things that are probably never going to happen, and we must understand that the devil is a liar, and a lot of people are brought into our lives to cast false vision and lies to say this is as far as you've ever made it, and you'll never make it any further than that. Let me tell you a secret. God told me a few days ago.
0: This is when we were a secret God told you a few days ago. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) <laughs>
6: fixing up earth city still building multi-million dollar renovation to this property and then in the middle of it he says uh, I want you to tell the people that I want new chairs in my in my, my church I was like you've got to be kidding me not right now dude this <laughs> is the wrong time We've, we're, we're this deep he's like no and here's the words he said to me change me forever I'll never be the same I had to do this And I heard him say, Google churches with cool seats.
0: So just, BAM! So you heard God's voice say, Google. So the word of the Lord came to David Crank and said, Google churches with cool seats. Yeah, I seriously doubt that.
6: Then. He says, put it on the back wall. That wasn't an artist rendering that you saw. That wasn't this auditorium. That's Jack from some church. We don't even know that. I've never seen that church except on Google. Don't act surprised. It's good. We didn't spend any money trying to do anything fancy. It was just one click and we had it. But you saw it. I said it. And here's what he told me. You listening? You listening online? Here's what he said.
0: Yeah, write this down and tack it on to the back part of your Bible.
6: You have to start believing that I'm big enough to do this and that. So right, there, that change there. You have to, don't you think I can do this and that? Don't you think I could get you out of debt, fix your husband? If he doesn't straight out, give you two more just like him. <laughs> that was just me, by the way. I was making sure that you were awake. Don't you believe I can turn the situation around? Don't be limited to your natural ability when God has endowed you with the gift of materialization on the inside of you so you can look
0: at a bunch of cows that are not... God has endowed you with the gift of materialization. Where is that taught in the Bible?
6: ...are not spotted. Who was that guy's name, Jacob? Laban, type of the world, is ripping this guy off named uh, Jacob. He says, well, eventually you could have all the spotted cows. He knew good and well there was no spotted cows. So Laban has an idea to rip him off, but then Jacob was endowed with the gift and the power of
0: visualization. And so what he did is he began to feed all that Joker's cows down by the. So Jacob was endowed with the gift of visualization. Again, what Bible passage says this? Answer not even one
6: By the trough and about sunset he would go down there with his knife and he rips off a bunch of twigs and he begins to rip off twigs everywhere he's sticking twigs all over the place what he's doing is he's casting shadows that's a quality tree right there y'all that tree costs a lot of money It ain't easy trying to make your dream come true. That's what I'm saying. See the podium? Watch me cast that on there. Can anybody see the shadows? He begins to stand in front of the cows and he sees spots on them. It's a nice spot. Then when the cows, at a certain time of day, we begin to mate, He'd go down there again so when they were mating, they saw spots. Y'all ought to read your Bible. Y'all looking at me like I'm doing something dirty. I'm talking about the Bible right here, you pervert. I ain't doing nothing funky. I'm saying this in the Bible. Google it. So he, through the power of... A visualization begins to
0: create what is not yet being created. Again, which passage of the Bible says that Jacob had the gift of visualization? Not one. Where are you getting this from? Next thing
6: that happens, Laban comes down and he goes, we got a problem. Every new cow that's being born is a spotted cow. Who is putting spots in the water? <laughs> Come on, somebody ought to understand. See, the natural mind is trying to figure out how he has ripped the system, how the cheater has been cheated when in reality there was nothing more than a vision saying, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. I see a church where there is no church. I see a tumor dissipate. Somebody ought to help. I'm trying to preach to somebody to help me. I'm saying that you're seeing a husband with a job. You're seeing the education be paid for.
0: You're seeing the house. I'm seeing a man who's making merchandise of these people filling their heads with nonsense in order to make a buck that's what david crank is doing
6: Sell. You're seeing the income rise. You're seeing yourself on television in Florida. You're seeing five campuses come up in the Bahamas. I'm seeing another campus come out west somewhere by Wittsville. I'm seeing another campus come out somewhere in Illinois. When I close my eyes, somebody needs to hear what I've got on the inside of me tonight. I'm prophesying to you. I'm prophesying to. You got to close your eyes and say I'm
0: not limited to my my, my. <sighs> done. What was that? That wasn't biblical preaching. That, like I said, was the sound of the sweep of the dragon's tail sweeping souls into hell all the while <laughs> claiming To be representing Jesus Christ and proclaiming his word. And yet it was not preached. It was not taught correctly. What they heard was absolute nonsense and false doctrine and heresy. All in the name of Jesus. This is what it means to take God's name in vain. Very dangerous. Very wicked. Very evil. Sad. What did you think? All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.